This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, HowdyLand.com, The David Pakman Show, Real Time with Bill Maher, This Week in Blackness, The Jimmy Dore Show, and Moyers and Company. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, some of the GOP dirty tricks in this episode have been rated SCD for stomach-churningly deceitful and should not be heard by children, the elderly, or anyone else. Representative Joe Walsh, uh, we talked about him earlier in the show, we talk about him often. Uh, he is a Tea Party clown extraordinaire. Uh, he's a freshman. He's violated just about every uh, you know, pledge that he's made. Uh, he's Mr. Fiscal Discipline, except for the fact that it turns out he owes hundreds of thousands of dollars in child support for his own family. Um, uh, he's also part of the people who are doing the hypocrisy of using what they call Obamacare, to cover his own kids. He says, oh, no, 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 they're doing it through their mom. Uh, and uh, nonetheless pretends that he wants to repeal all the provisions, except for the ones that help him, of course. And the list goes on and on. Now, he's running as Tammy Duckworth, who is a veteran. Now, she's not just a veteran. She lost both of her legs in Iraq. But that's not all. She served for more than 20 years. She has a rank of lieutenant colonel. She's received multiple awards, including Purple Heart, Air Medal, Army Commendation Medal, and the list goes on and on. So Joe Walsh says, ah, she's overdoing it, and she's not really a hero. Okay, he first explains, um, you know, John McCain. Now, there was a guy who didn't want to run on his military record, even though it was exemplary. And that's why he's a hero, an American hero. Except the first ad that John McCain ran in the presidential campaign was about how he was a military hero. Now, I'm not blaming John McCain. He earned it. He was tortured by the Vietnamese. He could have left. He didn't go. He was an American hero. Okay. Now, I didn't agree with his politics later, and I think he's a war hawk, all that stuff. But you can say, the guy's a hero. You've got to give him his due, right? And, but did he brag about it? He made his whole career on it. But Joe Walsh says, no, no, no. You see that? John McCain's never talked about it. The only time he ever talked about it, his political advisors made him do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, he goes on to say, well, that's what's so noble about our heroes. Now I'm running as a woman who, my God, that's all she talks about. Our true heroes, it's the last thing in the world they would talk about. That's why we're so indebted and in awe of what they've done. In other words, she's not a true hero. I mean, you lose a couple of limbs in Iraq, and you've got all these medals, and you serve for 20 years, and you're a lieutenant colonel. Oh, come on, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Of course, if you're running as a Republican, all of a sudden it doesn't count, right? Oh, uh, to be fair now, Joe Walsh served how many years in the military? Oh, wow, look at that, none. Now, if a Democrat did this to a Republican who lost both limbs serving our country and had all these medals, what do you think would happen? Every Democrat in the country would have to go on national TV and apologize for being in the same party as him, right? How dare you? I mean, look at what happened to Chris Hayes. Chris Hayes did a segment where he said, should we consider everyone who died in combat a hero, does it produce a war culture? It's an interesting question, right? And he's, how dare you, how dare you, goddamn weenie, they could literally call him a weenie, okay? And he was forced to go on MSNBC and bow down and apologize. He's a good guy, I like him, I thought it was a good segment. I, I was sad to see him do what he did. Meanwhile, you got a Republican US congressman saying, oh, is she a really true hero? She keeps blabbering about it, blah, 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 you lost both your legs, oh, you got all these medals for 20 years you served, blah, blah. She's still talking about it? Is that really a true hero? 
Consequences? Nothing. No Republican will be asked to apologize for Joe Walsh. He will not do a national apology. He won't do anything because the Republicans are supposed to win and the Democrats are supposed to lose. Now, in this one case, trust me, Joe Walsh gonna lose. Okay, because this guy is so out of bounds, such a lunatic. And on top of that, they redistricted his district, which was pretty moderate to begin with. So, uh, Tammy Duckworth has one more mission, and uh, that'll be Joe Walsh. I got a girl in the war, man, I wonder what it is we've done. Paul said to Pete, you gotta push yourself a little harder. Pretend the death from above is a dragon and your feet are on fire. But I got a girl in the war, Paul, the only thing I know to do. In the 2010 Republican Senate primary in the state of Delaware, a political consulting firm that had recently worked for the upstart candidate Christine O'Donnell, they produced a video with this out-of-nowhere accusation. Isn't Mike Castle cheating on his wife with a man? <laughs> That's the rumor. That's the rumor. Actually, no, it was never the rumor. That never was the rumor until this video came out during the campaign. When asked about it, Mr. Castle's Republican primary opponent, Christine O'Donnell, she played her part perfectly. I think that that's a very tacky approach. I never said that Mike Castle was gay. I don't endorse putting out rumors that Mike Castle is gay. I would never call Mike Castle gay. Who says Mike Castle is gay? I think it's terrible when anybody says Mike Castle's gay. Who said gay? Gay. Mike Castle gay? I never said that. Gay? Republicans do this to each other all the time. Texas 2009, Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison trying to unseat incumbent Governor Rick Perry. The Austin American statesman notices that hidden in Senator Hutchison's campaign website, among a long list of search optimization terms, is the text, Rick Perry gay. Twice. This is the metadata for the site. You don't see it at the site itself, but it helps your site pop when people are searching for, say, the words Rick Perry gay. Now, the Hutchison campaign said it was all a mistake. But look at specifically the way they apologized. They said, we did not know these offensive word associations were being searched for by hundreds of thousands of Texans every day. Nor do we condone the computer-generated existence on our website. They will be removed promptly. Hundreds of thousands of Texans are searching daily for the words Rick Perry gay? We didn't know that. We would never willingly take advantage of the fact that hundreds of thousands of Texans are typing Rick Perry gay into search boxes every day. Rick Perry gay? Did somebody say gay? Gay? Did you say? Now the latest one is in Arizona. Two incumbent Republican congressmen running against each other in a primary because of redistricting. One of them is Congressman David Schweikert. And the other one is this guy. I love Arizona. I was raised right. Somebody has to go to Washington and knock the hell out of the place. Barack Obama. <laughs> That's Congressman Ben Quayle, son of former Vice President Dan Quayle, who has yet to knock the hell out of Washington, but he does want another shot at it. So which one of these two guys is the star of the latest episode of the ongoing sad Republican reality series called Hey You, I'm Calling You Gay? Uh, in this case, it's Ben Quayle. This is the mailer the Schweikert campaign sent out this weekend. You're looking at the front of it. Ben Quayle, he goes both ways, dot, dot, dot. 
The ellipses doing quite a lot of work there. If you flip the flyer over, you find that, oh, Ben Quayle goes both ways on important conservative issues. Just for good measure, it's repeated a couple more times on the back. Ben Quayle, he goes both ways, both ways. Very subtle, Dave Schweikart, very subtle. And of course, when called on the insinuations in the flyer, a Schweikert campaign spokesman got to repeat the key phrase, saying, quote, the mail piece was clearly intended to say both ways, taking the liberal and conservative side on issues. Did we mention he goes both ways? Ben Quayle goes both ways? Who said that? Did anybody say he goes both ways? That wasn't us. It's not what we meant. You stay classy, Republican Party. You stay classy with a K. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Dr. Marisha Agana is running against Tim Ryan in Ohio. She's trying to uh, unseat him. She's the Republican. Tim Ryan is a Democratic incumbent. She sends out a tweet about President Obama. She says, quote, history has a way of repeating itself. Stalin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, and now Obama. There are no bounds. I mean, why not put Lucifer and Beelzebub in there? I mean, you put Stalin and Hitler and Mao combined, what do they kill, 60 million people or more? Right? There are no bounds. That's just, and if you, but if you say anything about Republicans, like, hey, maybe they didn't pay their taxes, they lose their minds. They're like, oh, how could you? You're so indecent to suggest that Mitt Romney hid money in the Cayman Islands when he admits he has a Cayman Islands bank account. You're so indecent. Meanwhile, uh, I can say that Obama's uh, Hitler and Mussolini and and everybody else combined, right? To be fair, she did not mention Mussolini. So, when uh, asked about this, she said, uh, the blood of thousands of unborn children are in his hands. But what's hilarious about that is that was intended as a somewhat of a backpedal. <laughs> like, like, no, 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 I'm trying to clarify. He's among the worst, you know, guys in the history of mankind. Well, you know, Committing genocide after genocide. Why? Because he's killing thousands of unborn children. Oh, I see. Oh, that makes it so much better. Okay. And then finally, she sends out one more tweet. Uh, I am sorry if I made a poor choice of analogy, but I was referring to his pro-abortion stance. Look, we disagree with one another. I know why you're pro-life, and I respect that you call yourself pro-life. Now, a lot of progressives won't do that. They call you anti-choice, etc. I get it. You think that life begins at conception. We have a real disagreement on that, one that is profound. For example, I think that life begins when it is an independent life form. When it is dependent on the mother, the mother gets to make the decision. So we have an honest disagreement. 
But you don't get to call me a murderer. You don't get to call President Obama, Stalin, and Mao, and Hitler all wrapped up into one. And, and everybody who's pro-choice in the country is somehow Hitler? Do you know that three quarters of the country says that abortion should be legal? Three quarters of the country. So they're all Stalin and Mao and Hitler? You gotta bring it down. But for Republicans, there is no such thing as calming down or bringing it down. No, everything is at a hundred. Or like they said in Spinal Tap, it's at 11. Okay? And then the minute you ever criticize them on the simplest thing, like on tax returns, they are enraged. How could you? How could you? The lack of civility. Fist to fist and heart to heart, you get back up and fight. And now, you join like a flag on a battleground, stepped on and beaten down. But somehow, yes, somehow, you still manage, may you manage to survive, you manage to survive. It's your courage. Take them on, take them out, take a stand, take them out. According to reports from the Capitol Medical Center, Texas legislator Louis Gohmert is still saying ah, despite the fact that his primary care physician has gone home for the day. Gohmert, who had been complaining of a mild sore throat and was told to open his mouth and make the appropriate sound four hours ago, is now showing signs of fatigue. This late news just in, Gomert has failed to cast the deciding vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act by voting ah. Last poll, a new poll finds that the Tea Party is the political group that is anti-gay by the mo- by, by the biggest mar- margin. This is a great analysis by David Badash over at the New Civil Rights Movement. As it turns out, the Tea Party is against homosexuality the most. This is a new poll that was released by the Washington Post, and members of the Tea Party have the lowest level of support for same-sex marriage by a huge margin. Overall, 53% of adults believe same-sex marriage should be legal, okay? Democrats, 68%. Independents, 57%. Republicans, 30%. Tea Party, 6%. 6% of Tea Party members say they support same-sex marriage. No other group was even close. And what's shocking is that even Republican religious values voters, self-identified Lewis, 11% believe that same-sex marriage should, should be legal. Why is this so shocking? Well, it's particularly shocking because the Tea Party, since its inception, has claimed their only concerns are smaller government and lower taxes. This is yet more evidence that, wait a second, this is the group with the lowest acceptance of same-sex marriage. I thought the big concern was small government, yeah. not the government legislating that gay people shouldn't get married. 
Well, the thing is, for the leaders of the <clears throat> of the Tea Party, that may be true. For the people that might have an IQ over eighty, who are actual <laughs> politicians working in government, yeah, those are probably the real issues. <laughs> but but for the, for the thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe even more of people who claim to be Tea Partiers, right? Well, what are they really? Well, They're there just is yeah, religious extremists, for lack of a better <laughs> term, who who have just social uh, agendas. There is some payback for Tea Party members. The Washington Post poll also found that 47% of voters opposed the Tea Party itself. So that's that's at least something. Okay, what what do you think is the best thing of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is, this, is this the that hard of a question? Is it that is. What? It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right. Well, you know what? None of us know what the what what's good about this show. What None we know is have... we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Alan West is a guy who has been doing the strategy of raising money by saying outrageous things for a long, long time. He realized, oh my God, if I go on TV and I say crazy things, oh, blacks are on the plantation, they're on the liberal plantation, and they need to free themselves by joining the Republican Party, all this stuff, the money pours in. It's interesting that my guess, I'm just guessing here, that the money might be coming from white folks rather than black folks who support that ideology. Anyway. Uh, so now they've turned it around on him a little bit. A super PAC is running that against him, and uh, he's in Florida. Yeah, and and they're going to talk about senior citizens. It's Florida. They're going to talk about his, uh, you know, campaign against uh, women, etc. But you know, they're going to have him hitting those people. So let's watch. Alan West fancies himself a fighter. Maybe so. West has sucked it to seniors, voting to end Medicare as we Lost. know it. He's whacked women with his votes for huge cuts in women's health care funding. And he's mauled middle-class families by supporting a budget plan that would have cut taxes on the rich while eliminating our tax breaks for college tuition and mortgages. Alan West is a fighter, all right. But it's time for us to fight back and knock him out of Congress once and for all. I love how he runs out of that. Okay, so now... You know, you want to talk about uh, racial overtones, you know, it, it, people could see as a black guy in a ring, he's punching white women, that could be kind of tough, etc. So, of course, Fox News jumps in. Here's Steve Ducey. Okay, so there's Alan West punching out an old white lady. Can you imagine if it were, you know, the dynamic were turned around? But, you know, there you've got... Alan West punching an old white lady. If it were a white politician punching, a, you know, National a, a person of color, there would be right. National this is huge. <laughs> uh, all right, but they're not done yet. Republican strategist uh, Anthony Holm. Let's watch. Three issues. One, reverse racism here, because it's a different standard for depending on the color of your skin. Second, the figures, be cartoon or not, are woman beating. That is what is implied in here. He is harming women and punching them. And third, I'll take you back to remember the bullet targets on the um, from Sarah Palin in the national outrage, even sure. the international outrage. It's a totally different standard. Now we want to reach out and say, oh, this is acceptable. It's not. 
That's funny, because we did a video here a couple of weeks ago about an Obama punching bag. Okay, mm -hmm. Well before this ever ran, we had no idea whether this was coming in any way, shape, or form. I don't know, maybe about a month ago or so. And I said the Obama punching bag is perfectly acceptable. Uh, you know, he's in boxing gear, and I said if he's in boxing gear, well, okay, then he's in the ring. It's not like you're punching the president. It's a political thing. It's totally fine. And I said it's not like if you put a gun target on someone, right? So we're actually on the record as saying the punching analogy is totally fine, if even if you're hitting a black guy. So what Fox News is saying about, oh, if it was reverse, what would the liberals do? Well, go on YouTube and find out. <laughs> we just said it about a month ago. You know, the, you know, we use the argument a lot, what if, imagine if this were a Democrat, if this were a Republican, how certain people would, and, and basically it's a good argument and it works often. It doesn't work every time. And, and this uh, Anthony Holm, is uh, faking it because I don't believe it for one second that he believes that he's even one percent outraged by this. Steve Ducey is one of the ten stupidest people on television <laughs> in any country. It's guaranteed. Now, if you had white. Uh guy going and grabbing a black guy and dragging him to a tree, yeah, that has historical context. <laughs> right. That sounds really scary. That's different. And whereas, and what I said about the Obama punching bag is. Black folks and white folks have been in the ring together for a long, long time. There's no, there is no historical racial context to that, in my opinion, yeah. that that makes it no, unacceptable. Right, right. So, so now Alan West is going to jump in as well. Let's watch. Uh, can you imagine if a white politician were in a commercial punching a woman of color? There would be national outrage. Well, of course, there will be national outrage, and that's part of the uh, duplicitous hypocrisy that comes about with the, uh, the liberal left. I, they believe that they can do anything, especially if you're a black conservative. Now, think about this. Think if the uh, Republican Party or if some conservative PAC ran a picture of a black Democrat politician or congressman punching uh, white women and uh, white seniors. I'm sure that MSNBC, NBC, and uh, the Huffington Post, and everyone would be going apoplectic right now. So I want to bring JR into this because, you know. Can I say one real quick thing yeah. before you bring JR? They wouldn't run that ad because a Democratic black politician wouldn't be trying to cut Social Security. And he'd be standing <laughs> up to fight for the rights of the elderly and the underprivileged in this country. So that's why it's different. Among right. other reasons. Right. And Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, I was kept, you kept playing clips of Alan West for all these years telling us that racism was not that big a deal. Now all of a sudden when he's under attack, all of a sudden it looks like he's talking about racism. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, we got to stop crying. Oh my God, pull yourself up. Oh, you're always blaming someone else. This was a problem with the black community. Now all in on the same old stuff. It's the same thing they always do. The reason they're upset whenever there are actual calls for racism or uh, reaching to racist voters from their party is because they want to save it for themselves like we want to be the victim i can't believe you guys are actually calling out for what we're doing because we're trying to save up for that we need a little bit of that for ourselves they can't wait to do that stuff right and other things there's, a, there's as you said before there's a context behind this stuff there's reason that the bullseyes meant something because somebody got fucking shot there's a reason why there's all this stuff there's right. no there's no historical context for uh black folks i mean for a white guy beating up or a black Democrat beating up white people and everybody's being all crazy about it. It doesn't happen. This was actually after the Gabby Giffords shooting. I did some research into prior political violence in the United States and we can cite a few big name cases of people being assassinated and generally it's a conservative killing a liberal. There's one or two exceptions. But I did research into it. There are so many lower level like state politicians assassinated, senators and things like that that 
30, 40, 50 years ago. And if you look at the list, and there are lists that break it down by political affiliation, there are a couple of Democrats committing violent acts like this, but an overwhelming list of conservatives. And I guess I'm not supposed to mention that because it's supposed to be 50-50 or whatever, but people don't know about the political violence history of this country. Uh, John, honestly, I had never thought of that until you just mentioned it. Like, I, it never occurred to me to think who, wh who's conservative, who's liberal among the big well, shooters. Right, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, that's, that's about sort of, you know, that's gun ownership and who you want to, you know, and, and, but... And who believes I mean, in resorting to violence and who doesn't. That's yeah. why it's always a, a comical when the, you know, they in, the government investigates Quakers and peace groups <laughs> for possible acts of terrorism. They're a goddamn peace group. They're, they're, yeah against the entire point. It's the perfect cover. And, and to get to the, some of the liberals who involve, like, they're not really liberal, they're like anarchists. Yeah, exactly. Right. Left wing by right. some definition, not right. liberal Democrats. And Please. mind you, a lot of these people, are, of course, are insane. And a lot of David Hinckley is insane. But, but you know, but it, he did shoot Reagan, you know, mm -hmm. so... That's totally interesting. The sample size is so small that it's largely meaningless. Right. I mean, well, overall, like to say, you know, whatever. Nobody wants anybody to get shot. I think it was a right. country, 99.9% .9 of us are against the use of violence to kill others who, when you're not standing here. Right, but to John's <laughs> point, one last thing on that. It, it, that's why it was such a huge problem when some of the candidates in the last election were talking about if we can't win at the ballot box, then maybe we should look into the bullet box. Pistol shots. America can waste another second thinking about Todd Aiken and his theory that you can't get pregnant unless your eggs are asking for it. <laughs> Here's the only thing you need to know about Todd Aiken and human anatomy. He's an asshole. <laughs> now, what I want to talk about tonight is how it is not a coincidence that the party of fundamentalism is also the party of fantasy. When I say religion is a mental illness, this is what I mean. If you believe in angels and demons and Jesus riding a dinosaur, it's not that big a leap to believe in tiny ninja warriors that women have in their body to lie in wait for bad people's sperm. <laughs> Republicans would like to pretend like Congressman Aiken's substitution of superstition for science is a lone problem, but it's not. They're all magical thinkers on nearly every issue. They don't get their answers on climate change from climatologists, they get them from the book of Genesis. Or take the issue that consumes the right these days, the deficit. Their fervent and their desire to reduce it. But they want to do so in some magical fashion that doesn't involve raising taxes or cutting spending. When given a choice in polls between these two options, raise taxes, cut spending, a majority of Republicans check none of the above as a way to reduce the deficit which is like deciding to pay off your student loans by daydreaming. <laughs> or remember supply-side economics, the theory that you actually bring in more revenue by bringing in less. <laughs> Reagan believed it, but 
at least that was in the 80s when it was new. Thing is, we tried it, and we know it doesn't work. Yet Paul Ryan, who every shit for brains pundit in America keeps telling us is a serious guy, still believes it. All the Republicans do. They all believe in something that both math and history have shown to be pure fantasy. The symbol for their party shouldn't be an elephant, it should be a unicorn. <laughs> so, Paul Ryan is their tough guy on spending, but he doesn't want to touch defense? That's right, a budget hawk who doesn't think there's anything bloated in the defense budget. It's like being a health inspector and finding nothing wrong with the Asian place that has the chicken hanging in the window. <laughs> this is how low we have put the bar for political courage. That you can just write, I want a pony on a binder and call it the plan for restoring vision for America's greatness or some shit and everyone says you're brave. The grown-up answer to our massive national problems is identify them scientifically and prioritize. The Republican answer is, there isn't a problem. And anyone who tells you different is a liar who hates America. We don't have to make hard choices, we just have to ignore science and math. That's why God gave us values. <laughs> if rape babies throw a monkey wrench into the whole right to life pitch, just make believe rape babies don't exist. If you want to cut down on teen pregnancy, just tell curious kids with raging hormones to practice abstinence. Until they get married, because everyone knows that's when the fucking never stops. <laughs> healthcare. Not a problem if you just keep repeating we have the greatest healthcare system in the world, even though the UN ranks at 37. What's the solution to global warming? We don't need one, because it isn't real. And even if it is, big whoop, just buy an air conditioner, you pussy. <laughs> Republicans also believe that putting the word clean next to the word coal creates something called clean coal. And that if they shred the safety net, all the poor blacks who are resting in it will fall gently to the ground, stand up, and get good-paying jobs as Olympic gymnasts. <laughs> so next week in Tampa, the Republicans must admit that the difference between a GOP convention and Comic-Con is that people at Comic-Con have a much firmer grasp of reality. <laughs> Johnson Avenue in San Luis Obispo and I'm five years old or six maybe And indications that there's something wrong with our new house Trip down the wire twice daily I'm in the living room watching the Watergate hearings While my stepfather yells at my mother Launches a glass across the room Straight at her head and I dash upstairs to take cover Lean in close to my little record player on the floor So this is what the volume knobs for I listen to Dance music, dance music. The theme of the uh, the first night of RNC was we built it, uh, basically playing on the 
uh, out of context quote from um, from uh, President Obama uh, when he was explaining that uh, a lot of things go into uh, go into uh, creating stuff like you, you might be just because you uh, you would say you you would say that you're smart but a lot of people are smart you said that you worked hard a lot of people work hard uh, but those roads and stuff like that you didn't build that and he said that and people decided to uh, go with the miss uh, the, the, the completely false representation that he was claiming that you didn't build your own business as opposed to you didn't build uh, the roads uh, on the street that, that got stuff to your business. He, and so that has been a point of contention in the campaign for a while. But you know what? They decided to say no. They said no, not even a little bit. Uh, we're going to lie. We're going to uh, cheat. We're just going to do any and everything that we can. And they misrepresented it so hard that they decided that their first night of their their convention was going to be based, we built it, where they showed videos of small business owners every, uh, like, like uh, explaining how they all built their business and that Obama is against them and that uh, how, how dare you say I didn't build this, blah, 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 blah. Literally all night they played in a loop the out-of-context clip of Obama. And every speaker basically said, hey, we did build this. Yeah. We did build this. Yeah. And I was like, how do you, how do you look the American people in the face when you're basing your entire argument on a, on, on a falsity, on a, on, 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 on a half-truth? How do you, how do you look at the audience and, and, and the American people and expect them to trust you or... If, if it helps any, it's only about four or five people. I would argue that a bunch of them just didn't even read the entire passage. What do you mean? I would argue that if they, a lot of people just read the sentence and then look at somebody else's reaction and said, Oh, this is terrible! The president is so insulting to my hard work! And then actually ever actually read the entire thing. So you could say a large percentage of them don't even know the full passage. So they're good. They're like four people need to look themselves in the eye in the morning. And the rest of them can just cheer and cry and say, "We built this," and hold up signs and sing songs. Hmm. Let's listen to exactly what he says. I want. I want to just make this clear. If you've been successful, you don't. You didn't get there on your own. You didn't get there on your own. Now, the idea that you might have got have success, but you were given help, because that's what ha- that, that's all he's talking about is that you were given help at some point, right? You, you didn't get there on your own. I, I'm always struck by people who think, well, it must be because I was just so smart. There are a lot of smart people out there. It must be because I worked harder than everybody else. Let me tell you something. There are a whole bunch of hardworking people out there. See, I believe that. As, so, as, as someone also, of color... It's also mm-hmm. something we've heard in church and at home before. Yeah. Like, li- literally, as he was saying it, and in the manner in which he's saying it, I'm listening to my granddad or my grandmother say the same thing. You think you don't, you think you too smart? You think you're the only one smart? Know how to do like, right. it? Right, exactly. It's the same Exactly, that, and that's what how, I've heard. Right, and we heard that, right. And we clearly understand the context. Even other business owners, I'm a business owner, clearly understand the context he's talking about. Is that you, in the society that, you know, we're living, no matter, yes, the hard individual work uh, and talent that you put into creating a business and then, you know, and, and building it for years to a multi-million dollar business, yes, there is a lot of work and ethic that you've personally put in to do this. But there's also infrastructures in place that help support that. Whether it be 
the loans you received, you know, uh, that are government backed, whether if you do construction or you do some sort of transportation and it's the, the road infrastructure and the highway infrastructure that exists so that your business can exist, which is why you pay taxes. This is why you contribute because there are, there is the general sort of infrastructure and, and an economy that everybody contributes to, including the government that helps your business succeed. Even to the fact that some of the speakers that they had last night, you know, that the, the, I think they, they said they had one speaker who literally his uh, uh, business has a contract for the government, you know, and so he sells uh, uh, goods and services to the government. Like that is, you know, some sort of type, type of exchange and support. So clearly we know that. That does not separate the fact that the con- the that the context of what he's talking about does not separate. He gave them the soundbite. Barack Obama gave the soundbite, you know, to them to be able to use against them. And it's the same thing that we use against, uh, uh, it, that's how politics is run. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, we use the soundbites to our advantage. You know, we do the same thing when, um, when Mitt Romney talks about corporations or people or, you know, whatever gaps there are, whether it's in context or out of context, in a political sense, they're used against you in a campaign. So is that how the conversation goes, where one person hears the, hears the soundbite and then somebody else in the office goes, well, why don't you check it for context? What was he talking about? And then that person goes, shut up, you're fired, and then they go forward with it? No, nobody goes, shut up, you're fired. But the question of context is asked, and still it's taken, it, it's taken and, and, and cut and says, well, we can still use it. We can still use but it. They, but, they, but they had a whole themed day for their convention out of context. So can you really, can you go that crazy with the, with something out of context, just six words out of context. It's, I, I, it's yes, a, it's, a, it's a theme. Pa- but that's that's the they had a that's theme the magic. Song. That's the magic about it is that that's they built it on that something that especially for me, like I, it's just so no, it's just so not okay. It's like really, yeah, I know, I know for a fact. I was taught from a child that me working hard and being smart will not be the key. Uh, 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 the only thing that, uh, that will allow me to do something. There's a lot of smart people. Like, 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 it's like when they tell, when, uh, when you, when you went to church and that girl could sing, and she's like, I'm gonna be a star. Like, yeah, you know, a lot of people can sing. That doesn't mean that you're gonna, you're gonna get a, a contract or you're gonna actually become a star. That's not, that's not, just, it's, it's, it's common sense. It's like, it's just one of those hard, it's like that hard lesson that you, you doing, you working hard and being smart isn't the key to everything. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Smiling on your lap, but the devil has his dream rules by. 
We all know that Mitt Romney's not willing to denounce the birthers. And in fact, he's proud to lock arms on stage with the biggest birther of them all, Donald Trump. And he's losing so bad to a bomber with every single minority group that he needs to win every shade of the white vote just to remain competitive. I mean, every shade from Jim Gaffigan, translucent to John Boehner, uh-huh. safety alert cone. So Mitt, Mitt decided to appeal to Whitey himself with some bad comedy. And here it is. I love being home in this place where Ann and I were raised, where both of us were born. <laughs> Ann was born at Henry Ford Hospital. I was born at Harper Hospital. No one's ever asked to see my birth certificate. They know that this is the place that we were born and raised. Good one. No, that's hilarious. Uh, you notice people aren't laughing, they're cheering. Which, uh, you know, you know why nobody's ever asked you for your birth certificate, Mitt? Because you're white. That's why, because you're white. What a knee slapper. I got a tag for you, Mitt. Try this one after you do that joke next time. Say, hey, I hear the New York police stopped and frisked over 200,000 blacks and Hispanics in January of this year alone. Well, I was in New York and nobody ever stopped and frisked me. <laughs> uh, see, it's the same kind of joke. It's because you're, it's, it's a joke that highlights that you're from privilege and you're white. Okay. The crowd wasn't laughing with him. They were laughing at Obama. black people. At bla- <laughs> right. That, that's what they were laughing at. Mm. And you, So you have to ask yourself, what is the joke there? Is the joke that nobody would ever question you, Mitt Romney, in the ways that they have been questioning the black guy for the past three years? Because that's the whole point, Mitt. Nobody would ever think to question a rich white guy, but now even the top of the Republican ticket participates in the the worst race-baiting campaign since Willie Horton. Yes, you are the majority, and black guys with funny-sounding names scare the hell out of a big swath of white America, so let's pander to those and enjoy the cheers of the scared and the ignorant. I don't think... Romney said that... And the thing that makes this even more nefarious or rotten to the core is that Romney doesn't really think Obama isn't an American citizen. He's just hoping white conservatives will think... He thinks that mm-hmm. that is really what's happening. It's very clever. Uh, do, do how is he able to separate himself from the birtherism stuff? Well, he's. <clears throat> I think he has a lot of natural ability as a repre- reprehensible person, <laughs> but uh, he needs to um, to convince the Tea Party that he's even more reprehensible than he than he really is. Uh, I th- that is exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to be, mm. he's trying to act like he's a worse person than he is. I mean, he's had a long productive life of not caring about poor people and and being greedy and enriching himself. But because of his lack of skills as a politician, he's he's had a hard time conveying that, and he needs to um, to. To bring the birther stuff and all that. Well, Chris Hardball actually. Uh, well, so we all know. So there. So there's the that was that was pretty jaw dropping. Him participating in that. Now they yes, it was. They've tried to play it off like mm. it was just a, a joke, and he's bad at joking. And um, but but there's also it, you know it comes on the heels of his welfare commercial, right? The welfare commercial which says that Barack Obama quietly lifted the work requirements for welfare. So so the meme is that the whole narrative is that Barack Obama is taking white people's money that you pay in taxes and, and handing it out to black poor people. And the reason they're saying that is because he never did that. He didn't even remotely do that. 
Right. And they're just saying it anyway. They're just saying, they're exactly, Frank. They're just saying, so it's black is white, up is down, in is out. There's, and, it, and it's not really getting debunked like it should. Like that welfare ad didn't, it, it did get debunked. Like newspapers and stuff said, hey, this isn't true. And even other Republican governors have said it's true. But they, if you repeat it and you run ads, uh, c- constantly, it doesn't matter if it's true or who debunks it because it sinks in. So Chris Hardball was on uh, Morning Joe, and he actually he was on with uh, Reince Priebus, who is the mm-hmm. our, uh, Republican National Committee chairman and a beloved Disney character, <laughs> and a beloved. Di- and he talks like he's drunk. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever noticed that. Yes, I have noticed that. Uh, he's always like a little bit drunk, um, brain damaged. A little, I think so. Uh, like he had a stroke and nobody told mm-hmm. him. <laughs> and uh, he's a young guy, Reince Priebus. That's why the new Toyota Priebus car doesn't work that well, because <laughs> it feels like it's that drunk. Drunk, yes. And uh, so here he is. So here's Chris Hardball. He actually brings it up. He actually brings it up. And uh, oh, by, by the way, Tom Brokaw's on the panel. So here we go. I have to call you on this, Mr. Chairman. You've been suggesting that somehow Obama's been running a negative campaign, Obama and your guy's been running a positive campaign. That's not accurate. The fact that they both stopped all the negative, I'm not sure who would win, but they've both been negative. That cheap shot about, I don't have a problem with my birth certificate, was awful. It is an embarrassment to your party to play that card. This stuff about getting rid of the work requirement for for welfare is dishonest. Everyone's pointed out it's dishonest, and you are playing that little ethnic card there. You can play your games and giggle about it, but the fact is you're Side is playing that card. Okay, well, when you start talking about work requirements, you know what game you're playing, and everybody knows what game you're playing. It's a race card. So, so is that surprise anybody that Chris Hardball did that? Yes. Um, not, not, not completely, um, because he's he's, you know, I think that he uh, he respects power. He respects political power, and Obama is the one who has political power now, and so he's on his side. So it doesn't surprise me when he. When he uh, does stuff on, Bo- on Obama's half in that way, and and from listening to it, you hear the audience applaud, but by not watching, you don't realize that he has just said something incredibly awkward around to be around a bunch of other pundits and journalists. Yes, uh, he has. In fact, you he's made them all very uncomfortable. uncomfortable. They're yes. all very uncomfortable. Too on the nose. Yeah. So let's let's see how this plays out. And this thing about birth, uh, yeah, if your name's Romney, yeah, you were well born, you went to prep school, yeah, brag about it. And this guy has an African name and he's got to live with it. Look who's going did, further did, did in your life. Just a minute. Who was born on third base? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, this is absurdity. Making fun of the guy's birth certificate issue when it was never a real issue, you except think, from the right wing. You think right. that Romney's playing the race card? When he when he said, there's no doubt he did with his birth certificate. No doubt. No doubt. Why would he bring it up? Why would he say I have no problem with my birth certificate? What's that supposed because to say? Because he's an awkward joker. Because, yeah. because he, he misfired badly on the show. Why would he do it? Well, I'm just asking you. Do you think do you think that Mitt Romney is playing the race card? Oh, now and yeah. Do you really? Oh, yeah, and I think his wow. work requirement fits right into it. That's the race card, too. Huh? Of course it is. Welfare? No. Food stamps? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Right. Chris- I'd love to see Joe Scarborough in 1955 Georgia. So you're telling me Jim Crow is racism? Is that what you're telling me? I can't. You're telling me that's. You're telling me Bull Connor trying to keep order on a bridge is racism? And a man who um, who openly makes appearances and fundraises with Donald Trump 
the idea that he's not playing the race card <laughs> is is pretty ridiculous. And so Joe, Joe Scarborough is the host of a show. Mm-hmm. He's uh, stunning. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's official. Joe Scarborough, wor- world's worst detective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he's being coy. I think uh, mm-hmm. the Emmy goes to Joe Scarborough because I don't I don't think he's serious about that. I mean, I, I think he's, I, no. I think he's. I, I think, think he's, he's serious. Yeah, because if uh, he does say absurd stuff like that all the time, and and um, he's like you. Oh my, that's just this is just you're gonna say that that's racism yes racism is racism yeah Joe, mm. it's okay it actually exists still today joe right. well that's what well, they they to think that welfare thing is not a racist thing it seems yeah. disingenuous for mm. scarborough to pretend that, it, that he that he doesn't mm. see it he thought the willie horton ad was was an effort to reach out him among <laughs> the, the ethnic diversify groups. yes so so joe scarborough just can't follow it what what could anything what could anything that connects Obama to welfare have to do with race? That's a real stretch, <laughs> Matthews. Don't pull a hamstring. Come on. Let's remember that the joke is nobody would ever question me, a rich white guy, like they are doing to an unpedigreed black guy. Mm-hmm. Even if he delivered it with Chris Rock level skill, it's still a horrible joke that only ex- excites a scared bully. That's not a real joke. DC sleeps alone If you watched the Republican convention in Tampa only on primetime television, you would have missed the story we're about to report. And it's the one that could make the biggest difference on Election Day in November. On the seventh day, we're told God rested, but not Ralph Reed. There he was, the Sunday before the convention opened, speaking at a rally of his Faith and Freedom Coalition. We're here today not just to celebrate faith and freedom, but to pray for its survival. And unlike the other side, we haven't gathered in this city this week to anoint a Messiah. Because you see, we already have a Messiah. And we're not looking for one here on earth. Reed's message was directed to conservative Christians. Mitt Romney must convert to his cause if he's to be elected president. Romney is a Mormon, a faith many on the religious right consider a cult, even a heresy. There's no love for Romney among these people, but they are united in their loathing of Barack Obama. And that's where Ralph Reed comes in. Four years ago, we heard a lot of talk about hope and change. People were fainting at campaign rallies. There were Che Guevara posters hanging in dorm rooms. There was one candidate who stood in front of Greek columns and vowed to heal the planet and cause the oceans to recede. But you see, our hope is in something this world doesn't fully understand. We hope for a kingdom yet to come, the hope of a new heaven and a new earth in which dwelleth righteousness. 
a place where every tear will be wiped away and every broken heart will be healed and all the pain and brokenness and poverty and injustice of this world will be gone. But first, there's the devil to chase, and Reed had plenty of help to call on. Former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. I believe Barack Obama is a direct threat to the survival of the country I grew up in. Eagle Forum founder, Phyllis Shafley. Dear friends, our religious liberty is at stake in this election because Obama is at war with all religion in any public place, any public square, any public school. And Texas Senate candidate Ted Cruz. For the first time in centuries, the President of the United States has officially declared himself an enemy of traditional marriage between one man and one woman. You're a witness to a modern tale of resurrection, a second coming. The Bible speaks of Lazarus, raised by Jesus from the grave, to walk again among the living. Ralph Reed, too, has been returned to life, political life. But he goes Lazarus one further. Lazarus was a poor man. Reed is rich, and he just keeps getting richer from mixing religion and politics. And that's a story you don't want to miss. At age 33, Ralph Reed was the Christian rights wonder boy anointed in the 1995 Time Magazine cover story as the right hand of God for spinning the trust of conservative Christians into political gold. It was Reed who built the Christian coalition of televangelist Pat Robertson into a powerful arm of the Republican Party. As religious conservatives, we have finally gained what we have always sought, a place at the table, a sense of legitimacy, and a voice in the conversation that we call democracy. In 2000, Reed helped put George W. Bush and Dick Cheney in the White House. Ralph Reed is with us. He's the Southeast Regional Chairman. And four years later, he corralled true believers for their re-election. But Reed fell from grace in 2006 after he was implicated in the biggest Washington scandal since Watergate. His pal and colleague, the lobbyist Jack Abramoff, pleaded guilty to defrauding clients of millions of dollars, some of which had landed in Reed's pockets as well. Reed's exile in political purgatory was cut short in 2008 by an event he said left him feeling as if he'd been hit by a truck. Barack Obama's victory. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible, tonight is your answer. As I prayed about it, and I thought about what can I do? I'm not ready to give up on America. I realized that God's not looking for perfect people because there's only been one perfect person in the history of the human race. He wants people who will come to Him just as they are with all their fears and all their failures and all their foibles and just utter one simple line. And that is... Here am I. Send me. And that was my prayer. Reed got his answer, not from an angel whispering in his ear, but from a more familiar earthbound messenger, Sean Hannity, Fox News anchor, talk radio host, and Reed's old friend. This was probably three weeks after the 08 election. My phone rang, and it was Sean Hannity. And he said, Ralph, we can't let this happen again. You've got to do something. 
And I said, well, Sean, I've been thinking about it, and I've been praying about it. I said, but I want to know that this is not me. I want to know it's not any ambition of mine. I want to know that I'm doing this for the Lord. And that's the only reason why I'm doing it. And he said, Ralph, God is speaking to you through this phone line right now. And he's using me to deliver the message. So Ralph Reed was called back up to the major leagues, but he was short on what the people of the good book used to call manna from heaven. In this case, the cold hard cash that's the elixir of politics. Miraculously, no doubt, it arrived as a gift from an undisclosed donor, a half a million dollars, which in 2009 Reed used to launch his Faith and Freedom Coalition. Because it's designated by the IRS as a 501c4 nonprofit, Reed can conceal the identity of his funders from the public, which indeed he has done. But he makes no secret of his goal. Beginning right now, today, we are going to take our country back and we are going to end the Obama agenda forever. By the end of 2010, according to tax returns, Reed had raised almost five and a half million dollars. Watered by more secret funds, he now has a budget of 10 million and continues to pass the collection plate. He says he intends to build the 21st century version of the Christian coalition with an annual budget of 100 million, 5 million members, full-time lobbyists in all 50 state capitals, and an enormous database. And while he counts all this as God's blessing on his calling, he also acknowledges his debt to the five conservative justices on the Supreme Court who paved the way. We've now got the Citizens United case. We can, where we so choose, within the parameters of whatever regulations the Federal Election Commission ultimately promulgates, uh, engage in express advocacy, that is, advocating the election or defeat of candidates. Mm. Uh, same as a corporation or a labor union. So that's just what he's doing, as he told the faithful gathered in Tampa. We've identified 17 million faith-based voters in 15 states living in 11 million households. Every one of those households is going to be contacted by this organization 7 to 12 times. We're going to mail them. We're going to text them. We're going to email them. We're going to phone them. And if they haven't voted by November 6th, we're going to get in a car and we're going to drive to their house and we're going to get them to the polls. Reed claims credit for a string of victories leading up to the big showdown with Obama coming this November. When Republican Bob McDonald won the race for governor of Virginia in 2009, Reed's brand new Faith and Freedom Coalition was there, contacting, he said, every social and fiscal conservative voter an average of seven times. Enough he also said, to make the difference. After Republicans swept into control of the House in the 2010 midterm elections, Reid called a press conference in Washington the very next day to claim bragging rights. It was the most ambitious, uh, the most comprehensive, and the most effective voter contact and get-out-the-vote effort aimed at the conservative faith community in modern American political history or at least as long as I've been doing it, which is 30 years. Uh, 16 million voter guides, uh, 8 million pieces of mail, um, three pieces of mail to every social conservative household in certain areas, 
they received an average of three phone calls, and uh, many of them received a knock on the door. They're also the voters Reed says he reached in Wisconsin earlier this year. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless the great state of Wisconsin. When Republican Governor Scott Walker beat back the effort to recall him from office, Ralph Reed totaled up the numbers and announced that his Faith and Freedom Coalition had contacted over 600,000 voters. Reed's funders, whoever they are, for their cloaked in secrecy, are obviously buying into his promise that Wisconsin was batting practice for November, when the Faith and Freedom Coalition claims it will reach 27 million conservative voters from the ranks of both the religious right and the Tea Party brigades. Earlier this summer at the Under God Indivisible rally in Texas, Reed told the crowd of 6,000 to beg the Almighty's forgiveness for the state of the country. Then I believe in November God is going to have mercy on our land and we're going to have a renaissance of the values that made this country great. Music to Mitt Romney's ears. Wow, look at this. This is an old-fashioned revival. I wore my jeans. Look at that. Ralph Reed is doing a great job here with the Faith and Freedom Coalition. This is going to be, make a big impact across America, and I appreciate the work that, that you are doing here. Romney needs Reed's blessing because Romney's a Mormon, and a recent poll says his religion makes one in nearly every four white evangelicals uncomfortable. Romney can't lose them and still win in November. So Romney must bond with the Christian right. Marriage is a relationship between one man and one woman. In Tampa, Reed called on the flock to do their part. Register the unregistered. Educate. The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. Let's give them the knowledge they need. Thirdly, vote and fourthly, pray for the next 72 days. Ralph Reed was in his glory in Tampa, his reincarnation in full swing. But there are some other things you need to know about Reed. First, when he bailed out of the Christian Coalition in 1997, only two years after his big Time magazine cover story, he had driven the organization into the ground. It was nearly bankrupt, under investigation by the Federal Election Commission and facing charges from its own financial officer that Reed's cronies had ripped off almost a million dollars. Despite that record, Reed went on to flourish in the early years of George W. Bush until it was disclosed that the right hand of God had his other hand out to his old friend, the super lobbyist Jack Abramoff, and was raking in the cash. Jay, this is Ruth from Michigan. I'm calling in regards to your episode about women's health and women's health issues. And I think there's an, there is an aspect of this that's often left out of the conversation that I think is worth noting. And that is the rights position on women's reproductive health and how they approach it. And I think it's important as a little history to remember, first of all, that the right had the majority of both the House of Representatives and the Senate, as well as a leader in the White House, for the majority of George W. Bush's two terms in office. So 
in that time, they had the ability to affect really serious change on the three issues that they use for fundraising from their base. Guns, taxes, and women's reproductive health. They have done a great job, mostly, I think, by hook and by crook, of affecting gun law changes. And I say by hook and by crook because I don't think that's been a result of any effort on the part of the Republican Party, but on a great effort by part of the National Rifle Association and um, the money that they bring to that task. Taxes, I think, are an issue that very often we discuss, but are really only seriously important to the right wing's high-priced donors and extremely wealthy members, so the Sheldon Adelsons of the right wing. But women's reproductive health is an issue that plays to uh, both the sensibilities of the rights everyday donors, the people who they have convinced they represent, and to the Christian right, so the people who believe that they are speaking for God when they speak about their, their religion as well as their politics. So when you look at it that way, what happens is that the right has no desire to seriously change the reproductive laws in this country because in doing so, what they lose is the ability to raise large dollars from their small donor base, so the people who are donating 50, 100, $250 to their candidates. And what I mean by that is that if abortion is taken off the table, if they outlaw it or severely restrict women's reproductive health, then they lose the ability to raise those funds. Now, what's happening right now, of course, is that the Tea Party or the extreme right wing is not in on the story. They don't understand that the loss of these issues means the loss of funding for their campaigns, and therefore they don't understand that um, changing these laws is going to be a detriment to the financial health of the Republican Party. Hey, Jay, this is Michael in California. I'm sure you heard Mitt Romney's Nobody Ever Asked for My Birth Certificate comment at the um, RNC convention or whatever. I just wanted to call you and tell you that that is the perfect explanation of what white privilege is. I mean, we had a little debate about that for a while, and uh, a lot of people called in about, uh, what's his name, calling from Pitt- uh, not Pittsburgh. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. You know, the reason that nobody ever asked for his birth certificate is because there's not quite enough circus clowns on the opposite side of the political aisle. So that's all. Just wanted to say that. Have a good day. Hey, Jay. This is John calling from Texas. Uh, just wanted to talk in reference to the last episode on religion and kind of bring a different perspective to it. I grew up Orthodox and uh, Orthodox Judaism and actually walked away from it, became agnostic and then more atheist and then uh, recently embraced a uh, very liberal reform outlook. And, you know, what What brought me back was more of a, where they took the husk of the religion out of it and just focused on the ethics and kernels of it and kind of took a lot of the superstition and stuff that pulls us away from each other and finds commonality with people. And I think if more people in religion did that and took a more progressive outlook and realized the context of what these books, these people based their lives off of, when they were written, the context they were written in, and took them as more of poetry and life lessons rather than a reason to hate another human being and a reason to kill someone else, we'd have a much better place 
here on Earth, and everyone would probably be a lot happier. Uh, here in Texas, we got a pastor named John Hagee. If you Google his name, the first thing that pops up is show your support for Israel. But he also calls liberal Jews poisonous and spiritually blind. Um, you got people like Pat Robertson calling Buddhist devil worshippers, but I would go as far to say that Buddhists have more Judeo-Christian ethics, not values, but ethics, than someone like Pat Robertson being more selfless, more charitable. And it, it, it really makes me sick how people get so divided over issues like homosexuality. Myself being a hetero, um, I'm very outspoken on gay rights and believe that that is our civil rights struggle for our generation and people 20, 30 years from now are going to just look back and it's going to be kind of like the blacks in the 70s and 80s and people wondering how could you think like that and it really gets me caught up how how much hate comes from this huge majority in America over people just loving one another because a sky god told them to or John Hagee told them to or Pat Robertson told them to and uh, I think <laughs> there might need to be some more regulation on stuff like that and Mitt Romney for example bragged about his charitable contributions to the Mormon church but what, where exactly are those funds going to? I mean I've seen some Mormon temples or what, whatever they call them in California and here in Texas and they're very beautiful, elegant loud buildings uh, I know they do mission trips to Africa not to bring food but to spread the word that Jesus coming to Missouri, and uh, I would not call that philanthropy. I would call that ego masquerading as humility, and I think if people took more of a progressive outlook on religion and realized it is life lessons and a way to make the world a better place for your loved ones, the people you share this earth with, uh, we could find heaven on earth. Maybe we're thinking too deep about heaven and hell. Maybe heaven and hell exist in us all here on earth. And who knows what happens when you die, but why we're here on Earth, we should focus on trying to make the world a better place. Anyways, I appreciate the show. It's an inspiration. Love listening to an at work. And uh, thanks, bud. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I have two incredibly quick notes. Uh, the first is that if you liked the last clip of today, it was a really interesting clip from Moyers and Company about the resurrection of Ralph Reed, and uh, there's actually 20 more minutes of that report, which is all great, from Moyers and Company. I highly recommend you check it out. They are at Bill Moyers com and they have a podcast and you should just subscribe and listen to everything they do uh, because they're great and, and I want to go on the record as saying uh, that I wish Bill Moyers was my grandfather because that would be awesome. Uh, secondly, I, I just want to make a note on uh, the first voicemail I played today saying that you know conservatives don't actually want to uh, follow through on their you know ideas like uh, banning abortion because if they did some of their uh, you know funding sources would dry up and I just want to say that you can't use a brush that broad to paint the entire conservative movement except for the Tea Party who aren't in on the joke you know because like clearly there are some people you know the, the fundraisers of the party definitely know those sorts of facts you know but there's there's uh, an old saying on the flip side of this coin 
that has to do with the Nation magazine, very progressive, very old magazine uh, that, that goes, what's bad for the country is good for the nation, which means that when Republicans are in office and conservatives are getting their way, then the Nation magazine does better financially. And that does not mean that the people who write for the nation don't actually want progressive policies to be put in place or don't actually want progressive people to be uh, in office just because those two things are uh, at odds with each other. You know, it, it is an interesting dynamic, but you can't just say that the movement really actually doesn't want to pass those sorts of policies. That's just going a bit far and similar things could be said about, you know, issues on our side. And, and I don't think it's true on the progressive side either. So those are my thoughts, but you know, let me know if you think I'm missing something on, on that point. Otherwise, that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who supports the show. Uh, membership donations and one-time donations are how the show survives, so please consider that. All that can be done through the website at bestoftheleft.com. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and Since the floor